welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we're counseling on guitars in movies. If you are listening to this, then you have probably been there. You sit down to watch a movie and somewhere in there, you see guitar gear. From Tom Hanks, That Thing You Do, to Rob Reiner's Spinal Tap, nothing is more engaging entertaining and aggravating to a guitarist than a movie with guitar gear. But what does Steve Vai, Ralph Macchio, and Britney Spears have in common? Did Back to the Future make critical Gibson, Fender, and PRS errors? Is Huey Lewis hearing okay after Marty's band audition? How great was La Bamba? How bad was Buddy Holly's story? Is Stairway really denied? Is it really possible to turn it to 11? And what is this thing called suspended disbelief? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Paul on the Tweed Couch. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us here on the couch to be able to talk about something that I know is near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is guitars and movies. I don't know if you are the same way that I am, that like you're watching a movie and you're sitting there with your spouse and all of a sudden you're like nudging him going, and that's an 86 Strat. Oh, that's a 59 Les Paul. I do that all the time. Yeah, I I try not to do it just to um, save my marriage. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, then I'm glad that I'm here <laughs> like, for you then. I mean, it just depends on who you're married to, right? You know, or whatever. So yeah, it's I like, suppose. it's I, I let the nerd flag fly, I, I guess, sparingly. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here on the couch. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. It's good to be back. So the movie that I think I want to start with is That Thing You Do. One of my favorites. And one of the big reasons why I want to start with that one is, number one, it's a nice, upbeat Positive movie. You got some Tom Hanks. Love me some Tom oh, Hanks. Yeah. Got some Liv Tyler. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And really, all of them are just wonderful. But I think it hits home to both of us because we grew up with dad. And dad was a surf music kind of guy. And he also played in the Beatles cover band type thing. And this is an era that would have been our father's. Yeah, this was absolutely the era he played in. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I remember playing the song for him, That Thing You Do. And saying, all right, Dad, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, that would have been a hit. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And so I bring that one up because there's a special thing about the amplifiers that end up getting used. Okay. And they were big, blonde, showman, Mm -hmm. basement, bandmaster-styled amplifiers. And our dad has a 1964 showman, blonde and everything. Yeah. So that movie, it strikes home to me. Well, and he also converted it to a dual showman. You know, he it had the That's one true. giant 15-inch speaker, and he made it into a dual showman, which was a favorite of Chuck Berry's. Oh, very true, which we'll get to a little bit of Chuck Berry, not because Chuck Berry was in a movie, but because there was a very famous song of Chuck Berry's that is in one of the movies we will talk about. I would say it prolonged his career that much more. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, the man's a legend already, but you know, before it happened and stuff. But uh, yeah, anyway, we'll get to that. So when I think back to that thing you do, one of the things that I really appreciate about that movie and the gear that was used is you could tell that over time they were going from the 
yeah, we play and we're trying to be a band and we might do like the little dance or the battle of the bands or whatever into that professional, like matching suits. And you've got that road manager and, you know, all the things that were like very Ed Sullivan on doing the state fair tour. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, to, to the whole idea of the um, you know this this man in a very nice camper wants to sign make a sign a contract, you know, or whatever. <laughs> that's Steve Zahn's character Lenny, which is so great, is the comic relief of of the of the movie. Oh yeah, you know, talks about, but it's like that that idea of of the guy like finding them lo- the local band of putting them on the state fair tour. And, uh, you know, things like the Boone County Fair that we would grow up going to, you know, in in Iowa, onto then um, a different kind of like radio show tour and and beyond, and and then eventually to television. Well, and just, I mean, that character in general, he was the best comic relief because, you know, it was the part where, like, they're talking about all the things at the fair and they're being interviewed. And he goes, oh, no, I just got a pig over. (laughs) The way he didn't take anything serious and it was just having fun, you know, it's it's just the fool. Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack shooters. That's right. Calling them the favorite band, which for those who maybe didn't catch it in the in the movie is their fictitious band that they play when they're asked to be in a movie that's like a Frankie and Annette, you know, kind of a, a movie. Yeah, being the band on the deck in the movie yes. while they're in a movie yes. doing all this. Where, where Lenny's playing a saxophone. It's gold. <laughs> that's right. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> yeah, because they're just playing to a track because they're not actually playing. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. And actually, you know, not that we need to talk about all the dynamics of that movie, but another great part in that you've got the bass player, which is mm-hmm. known as the bass player for yeah. the entire movie, because as you and I both know, nobody needs to know the bass player's name. Yeah. And not, cares. O- and not only did he not have a name, but actually in the movie credits, he's known as TB player. That's standing right. for the, the bass, bass player. player. <laughs> In fact, the only bass player that's ever actually talked about is Scott Pell, known as Wolfman, which is his that's replacement right. in the movie. <laughs> so, but, the, <laughs> but the main character, bass player, didn't even have a name. And so you then go off to, of course, the the lead singer, who they referred to as the talent, Jimmy. Jimmy. Yep. Yes, he had his. Oh, I'm I'm serious about this. I'm serious about my music, and obviously he wanted that thing you do to be a ballad. And right. then all of a sudden, you know, you've got Shades doing his thing, guy yeah. doing his yeah. thing, and you know, changes everything and really bumps him to stardom. My favorite moment of that movie with Jimmy has to be that very end when he basically storms out of the actual studio. Yeah. Cause he won't do that thing you do in Spanish and he won't do it. in right. whatever else, you know, he just doesn't want to be controlled. Like, he doesn't want his art controlled and he never wanted it controlled from the beginning, but it got the attention that he was wanting to get. And so he kind of yeah. was willing to put up with it to an extent. Right. Yeah. And he had finally hit his spot where he was like, I'm done. Yeah. That's it. Road has gotten me here. This is it. And he goes to leave. And when he goes to walk out, he takes his Rickenbacker, closes it up. And then instead of grabbing the handle to walk out, he grabs the whole case and sticks it under his arm. (laughs) Under his arm. 
I, I, I guess <laughs> that I guess out. the handle of that case was just really uncomfortable. I mean, it was a 12th Street uh, Rickenbacker, <laughs> so I don't know if it was just heavier or something. I, I, don't, I don't know, but it was one of those moments where even in the moment when he's walking yeah. out, I'm like, why do you look like a disgruntled businessman grabbing his briefcase right. with all right. his papers getting out? Like, well, I think awkward. when it comes to when it comes to music and movies, I would say that um, there is there is a term that's kind of in the movie industry or whatever, or something I've certainly heard before or whatever, which is called uh, suspend disbelief. Whereas, like when you're okay. when you're watching a story unfold or whatever, when you're uh, there's this um, suspend disbelief. In other words, like you, you get wrapped up in the hey, I don't get this, I don't get that, or that doesn't make sense, or whatever, and then you're ruining just letting the story unfold on you and getting you know just taking it with the story. So it's it's one of those moments where it's it's like okay, he grabbed the case and he walked out like that or whatever, you know, whatever. But I mean that's a little part of it and everything. But I think in in music and movies and stuff, there's a lot of that because the chances that people have the chops to play what what you're hearing you know or even know their way yeah. around a fretboard it can be comical sometimes for people who actually know how to play when they watch people playing instruments obviously in movies and television so i'm glad that you mentioned that because there's two things i want to mention okay yeah. and the first thing is with that thing you do i watched a number of the behind the scenes stuff on that movie yeah me too and one of the things was is they didn't really know how to play their instruments mm -hmm. they had like an idea maybe or they had a, like an understanding of the moves but they didn't know how to and they learned for the movie and they did a great job yeah learning the parts like the chords look like they're in the right place it looks like they're somewhat comfortable at what they do but the second thing I want to bring up is you mentioned this idea of suspend disbelief. Yeah. And that brings me to probably the next movie we should talk about, which is Crossroads in 1986. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the Britney Spears movie. I'm talking about... Wait, I researched the Britney Spears movie. Yeah, you're, you're I know. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to watch the one with Britney Spears in it? I, no, no, no. You're not that innocent. You know what this is supposed to be. <laughs> I Some would call me toxic. Well, oops, you did it again. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's not go down this road, but yes. <laughs> yeah. But in Crossroads, you have Steve Vai, which yeah. I don't think anyone's going to argue. Steve Vai knows what he's doing. I think he played his own parts. I think I'm, he, I'm he didn't yeah, need the yes, overdub. No. Yeah, yeah. My understanding is actually that in the duel at the end, Steve I actually played both parts at one point. I wouldn't doubt it. And and I would not doubt that largely because when you see Ralph Macchio, who is mm -hmm. Karate Kid yes. to most of us, yep. when you see him play, I look at him and go, man, that dude sucks at guitar. Like he, the way he holds himself, the way he holds the guitar, yeah. he holds the guitar like he's storming out of the studio after being told he had to do that thing you do in Spanish. Yeah. He looked awkward. But the difference is, is that Jimmy looked great for the entire time and did one thing awkward. Sure. Ralph Macchio looked awkward the entire time and did maybe one thing good. Not to switch back and forth between the two, but I think that what was really cool, one of the things I really appreciated and I thought was genius that they did with that thing you do, was that they actually filmed the music parts like in order so that as they got better at playing the songs, 
they mm-hmm. got tighter and better for going from being in the garage to eventually being on TV playing it. And I thought that right. was brilliant because the way that they that how natural they looked on stage playing it, you know, they had now been playing mm-hmm. it for several weeks and, you know, rehearsing. And so you, you saw them get more and more comfortable with it. Yeah. And, and with Ralph Macchio, I would say that like, yeah, with Ralph Macchio, he was so young when he did the movie that you could tell yeah. he, he put in the work to try to learn the parts well enough or learn it enough that I'm looking at his hands. I'm like, well, his hands are in the right part of the guitar at least. You know, I mean, like, yes, it it helps you with suspending disbelief because it's like that is actually okay. He's playing. He's supposed to be playing an E chord right there. So that that's actually accurate. And he's supposed to be, you know, playing on this part of the neck. And when he when it goes up and down, you know, what what notes are being played, he's actually going up and down correctly on the fretboard, at least. Yes. And that's actually interesting, too, because at the end, the whole thing and I'm you know, I'm sorry if this is a a spoiler. So I guess spoiler alert when it comes to that movie at the end, basically, he's got to play against the devil. Yeah, that's the whole idea. It's like basically like a devil went down to Georgia, but it's guitar type stuff. Yeah. And you've got Steve Vai as the devil. And he's playing this like Kramer Jackson Charvel looking thing with a Floyd Rose. And yeah, there's like no logo Jackson. on it. Yeah. Okay. So, it, so it's this Jackson that he's playing and it's supposed to be a blues battle. And I'm like, Steve Vai doing the blues battle is really kind of throwing me off. But at the same time, I then have Ralph Macchio who's playing like this late sixties blonde with a white pick guard telecaster yeah and i'm looking at that going okay i mean i guess there are blues musicians who do the telly and do all that but you've got steve i going here's my blues licks and he shreds and then you've got ralph malchio who's doing what we now call boomer bins all over the place and doing his thing and in the end it actually really wasn't all that bad i i was not angry at it I thought I would be angry. I felt like I should be angry, but I went, you know what? If the devil who's supposed to be playing blues shreds, that should make you angry because it's supposed to be blues. And then you got Ralph Macchio who's playing his, his telly and you go, sure, a strat, maybe a 335, something like that. But you know what? He also kind of bought his skills with his soul. So, you know, that's fine. It's cool. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right, let's see the the devil is one and two, I think. Like uh he got Robert Johnson. He was unable to get the guy with the fiddle, <laughs> you know, and devil yeah, went down true. to Georgia and he was unable to get yeah. Ralph Macchio. So he's uh he's one 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 and two. One and two. Well I'm glad we're keeping score now. That's important. Actually, no, I, I take that back. Actually he is uh one and three because if you've seen the Saturday Night Live skit with Garth Brooks and uh Will Farrell as the devil. <laughs> he also lost that that battle. Well, if we have Tenacious D, oh, he's one for four then. Uh, yeah, but is it five because it's both of them? Because you have Jack Black. That's true. <laughs> he really, you know, he makes up for it outside of the music stuff. But I, I guess the devil is just like yeah. the rest of us that he can't help his passion for music, and so he keeps just picking up the instrument and trying. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, maybe he should work more on his technique instead of handing out gold. Maybe. That's all I'm saying. Maybe. Just like the rest of us. That being said, I'd probably lose. So I have no Yeah, I would lose. I I'm not lose. I'm not uh yeah. I'm not stepping up that battle. Especially if it's Steve Vai. 
That, that's true. Although, I, you know, I would say I appreciated the Steve Vai thing only because I realized that, you know, this this movie was in the 80s. And when you think about like a virtuoso guitar, right, you know, you're thinking about that yeah. is that that's the era of Satriani and Vai and Eddie Van mm-hmm. Halen, you know. And and so it's like when you have when you think about rock music of that era when that movie was created, what you would consider what what the youth of that generation would have considered just incredible like you know virtuoso on the instrument it would have been that style it would have been what steve i was putting out yeah. if anything i i appreciate the movie because these movies they inspired us so much they they inspire us to pick up the guitar to begin with for me it was back to the future this is the reason why i wanted to play guitar and yeah. i share that with um uh, John Mayer said the same thing with him. It was it yep. was also Back to the Future, you know, and these movies that that inspired us to do that and everything. What so what was awesome is that with Crossroads, it helped in the eighties educate youth of the eighties about the roots of blues, and you know, so yeah. you're you're hearing about these legendary blues artists that were all but extinct in the eighties because it took yeah. guys like Stevie Ray Vaughan coming on uh, the scene mm-hmm. and Clapton talking about his heroes or whatever to reintroduce mm-hmm. and, and remind people about uh, blues music at that time. I mean, it was it was Stevie Ray that was pointing to his heroes like Buddy Guy and B.B. King and Albert King and all, all the Kings, Freddie King, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and stuff, Hubert, Hubert Semlin and stuff. And it was because of them pointing to the, that. That was the thing that was kind of re-educating you know, youth at that time, yeah. like, hey, don't forget about this genre of music, where it came from and who those artists were. Which the other parts of that where you go, I appreciate this movie. And I know we're going to talk about the gear. We're also going to talk about the movie because in this case, what I appreciate is I go, OK, Ralph Macchio, really? Because you, you're telling me you couldn't have found anyone else that could play the guitar better and do these things better. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you could have. But once again, were people in the time going to go see a movie because Steve Vai was in it? Maybe. But would people <sighs> yeah. go see the old Karate Kid? Absolutely. They would yeah. see that. So what it did was it brought to light people who were not guitar people, but they were really excited about that actor, and they ended up going, there you go. And the same thing goes with that thing you do, not to keep jumping back and forth, but Tom Hanks. People want to see a Tom Hanks movie. For sure. And this was his idea. This was his baby. He was yeah. like, I want to do this movie. And he brought Liv Tyler in, Steven Tyler's daughter. Yeah. And he brought in these people who loved the music and did the thing. And I appreciate both movies simply because they found avenues in order to get people who don't listen to guitar running music mm-hmm. and went, all right, here you go. We're, we're going to give you this, and, and it's got a good story to it. And I thought both of them had a pretty decent story. That thing you do better, but Absolutely. Crossroads and, and, was good. And true to Tom Hanks' form with things that he helps produce and everything, he really wants to to teach people a little bit about history in, in, you know, yeah. when he goes through things, you know, whether it be a movie like um, like Apollo 13 or whether it, it be mm-hmm. Band of Brothers, you know, and, and Saving Private Ryan Forrest and stuff, Gump. you know, and, and Forrest Gump. You know, it's like if he has the opportunity to 
to put history in there, he will. And so what was great was not only was he talking about the pop rock music of the 60s and stuff, but then that he paid homage to also the jazz scene and stuff and thinking about like um, that scene and that whole part of, of uh, 60s music. Well, that's true. I didn't even think about it. And I guess we're going backwards, uh, which is fine. Is, <laughs> Jumping all around. I mean, really, because I forgot all about the jazz part of that, you know, that you have this this whole idea of where are people's musical influences? Because, yeah, yeah you had Jimmy, who is all into the like love rock and, mm-hmm. you know, well, what you call rock back then. And but you had Guy, who was a jazz guy. He loved the beat. He loved the feel of things. And that's a big difference because when you put somebody in your band, that's all about the feel of the song as Mm -hmm. opposed to the, this measure goes here, this goes here. I need to have a pre-chorus before a chorus or else it's not going to be catchy. When you add that person with the feel, you now take something from being the machine into being something that people can emotionally bond with. Yeah. Which is what Guy ended up doing. Yeah, that thing you did does a great job of really having. They really did a great job of having the different personalities that you get in a band. Mm-hmm. You know, from the from and the, the band uh, dynamics. Yeah, from from the prima donna. Um, it's about my art, and to the to the person who really has a uh, a passion for music and and comes in and and really becomes literally the heartbeat. I guess that's the connection why they had the yeah. drummer of mm-hmm. the of the band, and to the guy who's the kind of a goof, the goofball who's there for the party, yeah. who's, who's who's there along for the ride and everything like that. And it's not that he doesn't necessarily take it serious as much as that is he's about having the good time with it. To the guy who was like, yeah, I just did it, you know, because it was yeah. there or whatever. But he's ready to walk away in a heartbeat. Yeah, I'm gonna go join the military now. Exactly. It's like it's all <laughs> I mean, those dynamics, you know. Yeah. I would love to go ahead and go right into Back to the Future, but I have a feeling that one is going to just go for a really long time. So I want to bring up one more movie that I really only have one thing to talk about. Okay. And that's The Hateful Eight. Okay. Do you remember this Kurt Russell movie? So there might be some guitar players that are listening to this that know what's what's happening and going, how do I skip ahead in this podcast? I can't relive <laughs> this story. Yeah. But it's like if you're a guitar mm-hmm. player, it's like you, you need to know the story. It's amazing. Yes. You, you tell the story. I will tell some of it, and then we'll okay. get your take on it as well. Okay. But basically... Quentin Tarantino, he's running his movie, doing the way Mm -hmm. he usually does, which I'm not a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino movies because they're Mm -hmm. usually kind of like spastic and weird. But at the same time, I get that that is a niche. Like that is a thing that works for him. So he's directing this movie. And one of the things that he does is he borrows from the Martin Museum an 1870 Martin. Yeah. And responsibly also creates replicas of the 1870 Martin that he's using for the movie. Right. And the reason why he needs an 1870 Martin is because of the time frame in which the movie is. Right. So he creates, I'm wanting to say it was like two or three replicas of the guitar, but he wants to have the actual guitar in there to be played a little bit and you get the sound of it. Then take it away because Kurt Russell is going to smash the replicas. 
That's the whole idea behind this thing. Yeah. So they're shooting the shot, doing what they're supposed to do. And as they're Mm -hmm. shooting the shot, it gets to that point where Kurt Russell gets mad. He says, give me that guitar. And he gets it. And he's supposed to kind of do some things that go through the motion. But he doesn't realize that's the part that they are currently in in filming is go through the motion to this part. Mm -hmm. So he grabs the guitar. Says the line. And he smashes this 1870 Martin. That's priceless. It is one of a kind. You will not ever find it again. Smashes it into a bazillion pieces. Yeah. It's a uh, roughly $400,000 guitar. Yep. That was insured for what they bought the guitar for, which was something like $40,000. Yeah. Or maybe even less. I I forget what what the number was. But Jennifer Jason Lee is the actress who's playing the guitar. Kurt Russell comes over and says, music time's over. And he grabs the guitar and mm-hmm. he's he's banking on Tarantino saying, cut, if it's something that he's supposed to cut or whatever. And he doesn't. He lets the, the scene play out because they're just in it and he's loving the take. So when you see that scene, if you go on YouTube and look at it and everything, Jennifer Jason Lee's reaction, that is looks like incredible acting is actually her genuine reaction because she knows it's the real guitar yeah so so her freaking out when he smashes the guitar is because she knows exactly what just happened where kurt russell does not yes and actually you can see it because where you go oh my gosh that's that's amazing reaction to it you see that the first thing she does when she goes no yeah she looks at the director yeah, she looks over. you can over. actually see her yeah. look off to the side. Yeah. And I can only imagine that Tarantino at this point is pointing his finger going, yeah. look at Kurt Russell. Look at Kurt Russell. Don't look at me. This is this is gold. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that it really was the best take that they could have done with that and the yeah. best reaction. But when you basically destroy a half a million dollar guitar <laughs> yeah. and you catch it on film, you are doing the entire world a disservice because let's be honest, um, Ace Freely, Paul Stanley, whoever is going to damage their guitar from kiss on stage. That's a prop guitar. It's designed to bust on stage when they break it. Yep. If you see that on video, you're going, yeah, that's just what they do. But when Mm -hmm. you see this happen in a Mm -hmm. movie and then you go ahead and leak it out to everybody that this happened, you're all of a sudden going to make your box office price that you needed. Sure. But, you know, obviously the uh, Martin Museum was not very happy. Um, They asked for the pieces to see if they could salvage it, and um, it was unsalvageable. They um, released a statement saying that uh, they will no longer be allowing things from the museum to be used for movies. Yeah, and (laughs) understandably, (laughs) because, you know, I don't know that any insurance company would allow for that to go out anymore. No, so probably not. Yeah. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and we're going to take a quick break for the sponsors because I feel like I need one after that because I'm a little depressed again. And okay. when we come back, we're going to talk back to the future. Yeah, I think it's good to break and talk about f- fun family things, things that you can do with your with your family, possibly maybe maybe events that that you can go to that's full of music and 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 focused on family. What you're looking for is like a party with a purpose. 
that sounds fantastic. Okay. Well, you know what? We will go ahead and listen to that as a word from our sponsor. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Here's another sponsor. Are you wanting to join a party with a purpose? If you love music and camping, then come to LifeFest in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. Here's our last sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzman Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzman started a production of a solid body electric guitar for anyone student to expert. You can check them out at kretzmanguitars.com. Okay, so we are back. And before we talk about things like Spinal Tap and Back to the Future, I do want to talk quickly about inconsistencies because one of the inconsistency things that I have seen is in like Wayne's World, maybe La Bamba, Buddy Holly story. So let's start with Wayne's World. And although they did have their 1986 Washburn G23V that was mm-hmm. on the couch. We know that's accurate because awesome. I was I was going to say that was accurate because that, at least this wasn't a time period piece. It was, you know, like a movie about the actual year that the movie yeah, was right. released as opposed to some of these other period piece stuff that, that, that we can get. Oh, on sure. Then. So I look at that and I go, yes. Okay. That's accurate. One mm-hmm. of the things that I have a problem with is what they consider Excalibur. Yeah. And that was the vintage 1964 Fender Stratocaster in it's Olympic white, mm-hmm. which when you look at it in the movie actually has a decal on it that says made in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, like, and Cassandra also uh, is, a, is a little inaccurate when she describes it because she says 64 Fender Stratocaster in classic white with triple single coil pickups and a whammy bar, which uh, classic white was never a, was never a color, true. you know, so it, it was Olympic white, yes. You know, I didn't even think about that. You're right. I said Olympic white because I know that that's correct. But she did. She said classic white. She says classic white. You know, I mean, to to uh, the writer's credit, Wayne then pops in saying that it's a pre-CBS corporate buyout, which we know, you know, the, which is something yeah. for the guitar nerds like ourselves, you know, and then they go on to she, she goes on to say, I'd raise the bridge, file down the nut and take the buzz off the low E, which uh, yeah. for the guitar connoisseurs and stuff like that, they're like. Oh, I know what she's talking about there. But she also describes and, the guitar in a way that I don't think anybody would ever describe a guitar. No, to another guitar and, but I do appreciate that she said that without a blink of an eye, which, you True. know, if you're not really that kind of a player or whatever, you are that good of an actress to go ahead and get the words down, say it and have the reaction in the geekery she had. It was yeah. perfect geekery face. Like, yeah, oh, I would totally do this. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> But I don't care. I'm still going to go see Crucial Taunt because yeah. she's awesome. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah, care how absolutely. she talks about a guitar. I'm a fan. Yes. <laughs> right out of the gate. Cassandra. Cassandra. She will be mine. Oh, yes. She will be mine. Oh, Much yes. like the guitar mm-hmm. that will be mine. Oh, yes. Which, by the way. Zang. Zang. By the way, <laughs> interestingly enough, I don't know what the cost of a 64 Stratocaster was going for back in, I think it was 87. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I take that back. The uh, Wayne's World was ninety 
two-ish, I want to say. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but anyway, I don't know what a um, 64 Fender Stratocaster would have been going for in 1992. But Wayne used his half of the $5,000 signing bonus that they got for uh, Wayne's yeah. World to purchase the guitar. So the idea that even if he saved extra money that he was trying to save up for the guitar, yeah, he still was purchasing a 1964 Fender Stratocaster in Olympic white, which was a rarer color in 64 for $3,000 roughly. Yeah, right. <laughs> which is yeah. unbelievably cheap by today's standards. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who would be buying it for that. Yeah. So interestingly enough, the music store in which he bought that 64 Stratocaster was supposed to be in Aurora, Illinois, but they chose a music store in uh, San Fernando, by the name of Castle's Music. And, Cast- oh. and Castle's Music, where he bought that Stratocaster um, in Wayne's World, in that scene, happens to be also known, their claim to fame, so to speak, a Gibson ES-225 was purchased by the mother of a artist by the name of Richie Valens. Really? Yes. Yeah, so if you saw... Richie Valens playing an ES-225 in a couple um, TV appearances. That is actually a guitar that was purchased from the same store that they filmed that Wayne's World scene with Excalibur in it. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Yes, which leads us to La Bamba. I wonder if they denied Stairway to... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was our Stairway to La Bamba. That's right. That's as far as I'll take it. Because anymore we would be canceled from... Castle's music from <laughs> that's right. Speaking of this, well, and La Bamba, I'm glad you brought up La Bamba because you know there is a number of cool things that they had in the, that actual movie. Like they had the the steel reinforced neck on the headstock written on the harmony guitars, which were from mm-hmm. like the late '60s and '50s. I mean, that was really well done. They had the the Stratotone H44 harmony which was super cool but they also used that fender stratocaster that 57 reissue for it yeah and i'm glad they used an actual like good reissue for sure to be able to do that movie and a huge credit to the actor that played richie valens because not that he actually really looked that much like richie because actually diamond phillips yeah I mean, I would love to give credit to Lou Diamond Phillips because he's not Hispanic. He is actually American Filipino. So because he's from the Philippines and he's having to play a Hispanic role, I mean, he really did a great job. Actually, to the point, Richie Valens' family has actually taken him in as their son. Like every time they see him, they treat him like family because he did this wonderful thing. Yeah. Of telling the story of their child. Right. And I think that's also a credit to that culture, the Hispanic culture that really does cherish the dead and the memory of moving on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, and I actually heard the same thing about uh, Gary Busey with Buddy Holly's family that, um, you Mm -hmm. know, they just so appreciated his story being told and captured in the movie and the performance that he that he had. 
in telling that story that they actually um, he went to Buddy Holly's family, the Holly family, and they actually uh, let him play the guitar that was um, Buddy Holly's acoustic guitar oh. that he wrote like Peggy Sue and all those hits on and um, mm-hmm. let him play it. And then years later, because this is uh, this is on YouTube and him on a talk show. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Jay Leno that he um, he had that guitar because he bought it in auction. The family oh. wound up selling it in auction. And because of the money going to the family, the Holly family, he decided to purchase the guitar to support that family. And he owns Buddy Holly's acoustic guitar. That is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing, too, is that, like, I I appreciate that Gary Busey with the Buddy Holly store and everything. I mean, like, that's him performing and playing the music and i'm sure that they yeah. you know o- overdubbed more perfected tracks or whatever and sure. stuff so that the mix was really great and everything for the movie but he's playing the music and he's singing it and stuff and so um got to give him credit for for the performance and and trying to be yeah. accurate like that you know much like with you know walk the line and great balls of fire as far as like the you know yeah. actors that put in that work to uh to, to try to play the instruments and and do them well yeah, it will, and also act like the person in which they're trying to emulate. Oh, absolutely. And the, the Elvis movie um, oh, yeah. you know, that just recently came out with um, mm-hmm. Austin Butler. I mean, he, he did a phenomenal job with really capturing it and not looking like he's doing an impersonation, but just embodying yeah. the character. You know, that's, that's, man, that's, that's a whole other level of talent. So to go back to the inconsistency of the gear... Here's my one beef I have with the Buddy Holly story, because I, I don't want to talk ill of anything that was said, but Buddy Holly story, 1978. Yeah. Buddy Holly, do you remember what year Buddy Holly died? He died in 1959. Yes, the day the music died. Yeah. Something that we all should really understand and we should know. So yeah. when you see Gary Busey doing the Buddy Holly story, he should be playing pre-CBS instruments. Correct. But what is he playing? He's playing a 70s Strat with that CBS neck. You see the CBS logo sitting on that, that rosewood neck. Yeah. Yes. And even the telly was wrong. Like he was playing through a 60s blonde blackface amp. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Well, yeah. So he had a he had a Telecaster, he had a Stratocaster, and was it a was it a Bronco or a Mustang? Like what was the the other? Uh, it was a you, Bronco. It was a red Bronco. It was a red Bronco. Like, He's playing at the roller rink with it and stuff. But the thing is, is that all three of those guitars are obvious late '60s, early '70s guitars with the big yeah. block lettering up on the headstock. So it's like even though the color of the guitars were correct to Buddy Holly during you know the time and stuff, as far as like you know having the Sunburst Stratocaster, I think it was a Tobacco Burst, you mm-hmm. know, um, yep. or or I think it was a White Telly. But anyway, but you know th- those were correct, but it was obvious that the that the um, guitar was not. But at the same time you know they they didn't have back then they didn't have uh blogs and social media and stuff for cork sniffers <laughs> like us to to crap on the movie because, yeah yeah seriously and yeah. well and that is true that is very true because you know what what is that thing that you keep saying it's like magical somethingness what, what is it suspend disbelief that thing that's it yeah that one no, i was like magical what did i say that was magical so to suspend disbelief, I, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But when you know there are musicians out there 
sure. who are willing to suspend disbelief, but they can't because it is so glaringly wrong. I mean, <laughs> this is okay, this is I, you know this is maybe a, this is probably most likely a case where they basically looked into the prop room and said, "What guitars do we do? We have the guitars that look like the guitars that we have of these pictures of Buddy Holly." And they're and looking in this at the case, body, they said no, and they're not. Well, they they yeah, if they're. If they're guitar players, I bet they were all drummers. Yeah, that's what it was. I bet whoever their music uh, expert, <laughs> I'm using quotations, air quotations, they yeah. must have been drummers. Yeah, probably. That, that was, that was for probably, John Doherty. Well, and if we want to talk about inconsistencies, then we can go to Back to the Future, and we can talk about the Back to the Future guitar, which most people are like, oh, obviously, that is the red ES-345 or whatever. But before we talk about that one, it's probably better if we're going to talk about Back to the Future right now, we talk about the opening scene. Sure. Iconic. Yes. And the beauty of that little yellow Irwine Chiquita guitar. Yeah, the Irwine Chiquita travel guitar. Which, by the way, do you know who actually helped design that thing? I know is Billy F. Gibbons, ZZ Top. Who was in Back to the Future 3. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. ZZ Top was a, was a basically a big part of the soundtrack of Back to the Future 3 and then appeared as the uh, band at the hoedown. Yes, and the whole ZZ Top crew was fantastic in that part. Like, Absolutely. I remember seeing the twirling drum. And I didn't realize that was really a thing. And I remember watching the movie and dad of all people went, that's easy top. I had no idea, but he yeah. pointed it out and it was because of the twirling fuzzy drum <laughs> and fuzzy like guitar and stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. It's brilliant. Of course. Yeah. Sharp dressed man. Exactly. Exactly. So to go to that opening scene where he has this little tiny, like, 27 and a half inch long guitar a 19 inch scale neck to bridge Mm -hmm. and he's got this guitar and he pulls it up to 10 but he plugs into this gigantic amplifier but really the thing that's interesting is the amp that they plug into is not actually that big of an amp because i don't don't know do you know what amp they actually plug it into well I do only because Back to the Future is my all-time favorite movie, and Back to the Future 1. And because yeah. of that, I've looked up various things or whatever on it. And um, there is a thing called uh, Futurepedia on the internet that's much like Wikipedia or Wikipedia if you're a Star Wars fan. <laughs> and, uh, and Futurepedia or whatever actually has the amplifier. They did give it an, a name because it's obviously that Doc Brown put this thing together. It's obviously that he compiled components, you know, parts and everything and made because Doc Brown's not going to just go get something. He's going to be like, I can get whatever and then build it better, right? So right. Um, they call it the CRM 114 amp in Futurepedia because I don't think it's it's shown anywhere on the amp it, itself. Uh, well, because... it actually it does show it on the amp, but it's not that. So right, right, real right. quick, it's on the input jack. Yeah, yeah. So when you go to the input jack, it says instruments or mic. It actually says that on there, and he goes to plug it in, and underneath yeah. it says GA 5T. Which is a Gibson amp. And this is the irony of that is to me, I look at that and I go, that's like a five watt Gibson amp. 
yeah going into this gigantic yeah. speaker yeah. I was yeah, like what yeah. is wrong with this yeah that's it yeah, yeah he took but the input jack then he from like a plugs into the variac and turns it up to 130 and then you know yeah. like just keeps spinning every dial and turning things on so obviously there's another power amp or 20 involved yeah, I don't know what wattage amplifier you need to blow yourself back 50 feet. Because um, I was like, oh, is it a 20,000 watt amp or something? But Yeah, uh, seriously. But I suspend disbelief because it's just funny. Right. Yeah, but the funny thing is, is that, yeah, the it's labeled on Futurepedia as the CRM 114 amp. And what that is, is actually a nod to uh, Stanley Kubrick, who is the... Uh, the person responsible for uh, Dr. Strangelove and Clockwork Orange and The Shining. Yep. In Dr. Strangelove, there is a fictional device that is the called the CRM-114, and then the experimental okay. chemical in Clockwork Orange is also labeled CRM-114. So as a nod to Stanley Kubrick, they they named the amplifier the same serial number. So <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of fun. So it's a good homage to that, but it's not yeah. the Back to the Future people did it, like the actual people. You're saying that the fan base did this name design. I don't know who's in charge of Futurepedia or whatever, and, I, and like I said, I don't see anything on the amp itself, and I know that people like uh, George Lucas, for example, you know, he, he goes, I mean, he has all of these details that aren't in the movie, but he just has as part of the the lore of the universe yeah. he created. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure who specifically is responsible for the naming of it, but I, I just don't, wouldn't put it beyond the director writer to make decisions like that because it's their work that they've created so it's possible that they did yeah so to now flash ahead yeah. in the movie we now get to the point in which it's now time for marty to get one of his first big rejection times yep and that is his battle of the bands playing his ibanez roadster 2 his rs430 yes. and he shows up to the talent show and he starts playing power of love right and apparently i don't know the best i could make out was that uh, it's it's closest the amp that he's plugged direct into by the way i don't even think he has a pedal board mm-hmm. I, it looks like a gibson g70 which is a 212 like solid state combo yeah or whatever but uh, apparently they're very loud as uh, <laughs> apparently they're too darn loud and yeah, okay exactly. do you know what actor that was that actually got on the bullhorn and said I'm sorry. You're just going to have to stop. You're just too darn loud. I, I do actually know just because I'm a nerd about the movie and I and I recognized <laughs> him back when I saw it. Um, probably probably when it first came out on VHS tape is when I actually yes. noticed who it was as opposed to when I saw it in the theaters. Right. But you can go ahead and say who, who it was. Huey Lewis of Huey Lewis in the News, which, of course, wrote... Power of Love. Power of Love. And uh, they also wrote a song called Back in Time for the Back to the Future soundtrack. Uh, that has oh, a very power. Right. It has a very power of love feel to it, and everything. Yeah. And uh, I mean, who doesn't love Huey Lewis in the news? the The sad irony yeah. of the whole thing, though, is, is that it's like I, I love Huey Lewis in the news. I, I love Huey Lewis. I love his music so that's much. Not that's, not that, that, that's not sad. That's not sad. That's not sad. But the, the sad irony is that he stands up and he says, "I'm I'm sorry. It's just too darn loud." And sadly, uh, uh, Huey Lewis in recent years has been unable to perform anymore because he's lost he's had sustained so much hearing damage that um (laughs) that he can't perform live shows so that's that's the sad irony of him delivering that line you know or whatever Mm -hmm. which is uh 
yeah, yeah. So take care of your ears, fellow musicians. Yes. We want to hear more music from you. Okay, well, and then if we're going to talk about that, then it's probably worth it to talk about now the iconic scene of Johnny B. Good. Because mm-hmm. that was one of the things, if you remember when he's like doing the, you know, he's doing all these like Van Halen type things at the yeah. end, yeah. you've got the principal, his hands shoved in his ears, you know, yeah. just like, good Lord, that is just so loud or whatever. Yeah. And in that iconic scene, there's a couple of discrepancies that are worth being mentioned. Indeed, and yeah. the number one is probably the amplifier because that looks like a 59 basement to me. Right. So the basement first came out in its four 10 inch speaker form in 54, which would be accurate. But when you look at the thing, it doesn't have the front plate that's above the speaker saying that it's a Fender Bassman. And the Tolex doesn't look like it's the right, like it looks lighter. Um, So considering, considering that Marty jumps off the thing and then kicks it over it's yeah. most likely that what they did was, you know, they're not playing these tracks live while they're filming it. They're doing it to a right. playback. So they most likely were like, okay, this thing's getting kicked around. So let's not use an actual amplifier. Let's build something as a prop that looks like, you know, an amp from that era Yeah, is most likely what happened. But one of the things I do appreciate is that they didn't put a mic in front of it because at that time frame, that's true. You, did not have any real sound reinforcement except for maybe an actual vocal mic going through APA, but you never would pump the drums and the guitar and all that kind of stuff. But there was something that was also pretty important about that amp. Yeah. You know, he jumps off the thing, he kicks the thing over, he does all that stuff, but the sounds that come from the amp when he kicks it over. Yeah, the big thing was is that you hear the spring reverb. If you've ever had a, a, a separate spring reverb box or any, or if you just have a, a tube amplifier with a spring reverb, if you've ever kicked it, you hear that 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 rattly <laughs> spring <laughs> yeah, sound. Exactly. Yeah. And so you hear that when Marty kicks the thing. But the yeah. truth is that the first internal spring reverb put into a combo amp amplifier was the 1963 vibroverb by Leo Fender. <laughs> and so so there's no way that that amplifier in 1955 would have been kicked over and and had that sound. Yeah. And I remember hearing it in the moment, watching the movie and thought nothing of it. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I remember hearing that noise watching the movie within the last 10 years and going, hold on. That's not the noise you would hear. <laughs> yeah. A matter of fact, some of those guitar tones he has, that's not the noise you would hear. <laughs> no, no, you can't get, you can't play some of those Eddie Van Halen licks or, and, and some of the other things that he was doing. No matter how much you crank up the amplifier so that it's, that the tube's breaking up enough to give you distortion, it's not the tone that you're getting from, from Marty McFly at that moment. Which probably brings us to the guitar because it's not the sound you're going to get from a guitar that has humbuckers that were invented in 1956 in 1955 because yeah 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 345 uh... is not era correct and and it it bothers me a little bit Mm -hmm. because i'm like no hold on the paf wasn't around yet what's this yeah what's this yeah so that's how the new sound came maybe that's what marvin found he was like I found a new sound for you. Yeah, my thing is is that I think that Marvin Berry and the Starlighters were probably big around um, where the uh, the Gibson factory 
um, where they make the semi-hollow bodies and everything. Maybe they were big in that area, and somebody from the factory watching Marvin Berry was like, Yo, Marvin, you know that new design you're looking for? Well, check out this. <laughs> and then gave him a not-released-yet 1958-59 Gibson uh, 345. But uh, in, in all actuality, though, the, the thing is is that uh, they, they went to Norm's Guitars to, to ask for a period-appropriate guitar. And uh, you know Chuck Berry yeah. recorded Johnny B. Good most likely on an ES350T, but uh yeah. with, with uh p90 uh pickups but the thing is is that like when norm gave them guitars that was appropriate for the time period they were like we're looking for something that would look a little bit more futury since we're back to the future and mm-hmm. and and that would like kind of stand out that they they took that artistic license of what's going to look great on the screen and they wanted a red guitar oh sure and it actually made sense that like you know the minute the Gibson ES-345s and 350s came out, Chuck Berry went right to them and played them for the rest yeah. of his career. And, and he um, played it through a showman as well. That was another yeah, big thing. Played it through a, through a dual, dual showman. And so, um, in fact, it was part of his contract that he wanted that they had to pay him more if they didn't yeah. provide a dual showman. But anyway, so it kind of made sense that it's like, okay, he's playing Johnny B. Good. Here's something that we see Chuck Berry playing through the rest of his career and on album covers and stuff from that point on. Yeah. So that kind of made sense. So they did take some, uh, an artistic license Liberty uh, with it. But uh, you know, one of the things that I noticed about it, because I, I love that movie and obviously that scene um, sparked guitar playing for me and everything. So I mm-hmm. always loved the, the ES 345. And one of the things that I loved about it, I love, the parallelogram split inlays on on the oh, ES-345. Yeah. And what I noticed in examining this guitar that I love so much is that what's interesting about the Back to the Future 1 guitar is that on the 12th fret, it doesn't have a split inlay. It's like every other fret has it, but the 12th fret is actually a solid parallelogram inlay. Well, and, no, because usually they have that split. So they have a split right. going all the way down. Right, but, but not on this guitar. For whatever reason, if and if you look at the movie, especially when um, he ends the guitar solo and everybody's silent because there's like, what was that, you know? And Strickland's got his hands over his ears and everything. If you look when he stops this guitar solo and his guy's eyes closed and then he slowly opens them, the guitar neck is right next to him or whatever, and you'll see that twelfth fret is actually a solid one. And I've not well, seen it on. It up. on any ES-345, I've, I've, I've never seen that on another one. So is that like a Les Paul custom looking? In, is it like just a block or is it It's basically It's is basically it? like the, I mean, it still has on the top and the bottom the right angle cut for the parallelogram. It just doesn't have the split in the center. It's solid. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So if you, yeah, it, it's... And I just I haven't seen it in any other one of any other year, but um, it is on that one, and which is one of the reasons, one of a couple reasons why I know that it's not the same guitar that they used for the 1955 Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Yeah, it, it it's not the same guitar between Back to the Future One and Back to the Future Two. 
when they're in 1952. No, well, yes. Okay. So I noticed this too, and yeah. I noticed it in another way. So you tell me how you noticed it, and I'll tell you how I noticed it. Yeah. Well, the first thing I saw was that I remember noticing it when I saw it in the movie theater, because, like I said, I loved that that I uh, watched the the movies on loop pretty much or whatever Mm -hmm. and loved that guitar. So I was examining it. And and so the minute I saw back to the future two and saw new scenes, it was like right away. I was like, that color is not exactly right. It's not as bright red. It's almost pushing a little burgundy number one. Okay. And so I was like, that's not quite right. And then the second one I saw was then of course the, the, the inlay thing. And I saw that the 12th fret had, the split. Now, there's going to be some people who will go and be like, no, it's the same. I can see it, you know, or whatever. Yeah, right. But you, you have to recognize that they actually spliced in moments that they filmed in Back to the Future 1 with new ones that they filmed for Back to the Future 2. So you mm-hmm. actually are going back and forth with new angles of the of the Johnny B. Good performance mixed with old ones so you're you're seeing both guitars in back to the future too but it's obvious okay. and, and then you can talk about you can you can say what the third thing yeah. is I, it sounds like you know i've what mentioned this is. to you before and you said there were more and i was like what what more and you were like well i guess we'll have to talk about it and i'm yeah. like what okay so this was the thing that i noticed was the bigsby was wrong correct because in the original bigsby that you saw in the original movie it had two main things to it. One was where it where it says Bigsby and everything, it was shorter. Like that whole big triangle piece is shorter. And the reason why is because in that style of Bigsby, it's like a B, I don't think it's a B5. It might be a B7 or something like that. Okay. But in that style of Bigsby, there's a retainer bar that allows the strings to go underneath. And it's the one that you actually go ahead and screw to the top of the guitar. Whereas in the second movie, it's the actual like B6 Bigsby that is a much longer like triangle piece at the back, but there is no retainer bar for the strings to go down to give you a better break angle. Right. And it doesn't actually drill into the top. And I was like, hold on, that's a different Bigsby. And then I started noticing the other things where I went, that doesn't seem like the right red. And wow, they really flash from the guitar quickly. Yeah. You actually notice the editing is much quicker on the newer footage. Yeah. Granted, they're trying to show off something else going on, sure. not the guitar playing. But still, yeah. I was like, this is not the same guitar. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that uh, the gold Bigsby that's put on that guitar, um, down at the at the bottom, the plate that you see next to the bridge where it's written mm-hmm. in gold Bigsby, there's this yeah. negative space that's kind of the background space of the graphic. Yeah, the on, black on that. color. And it's black colored. And and it's yeah. the same with the Bigsby on, on my guitar or whatever, except mine's chrome with black in the back in, in, in the mm-hmm. negative space. Uh, but in the Back to the Future 2 on that ES-345, it's actually just solid gold. They don't have, it's not black in that negative space. So it it suddenly hits you that not only is it that there's just one bar instead of two bars on on the Bigsby, but Mm -hmm. also then color-wise, it's like, why is it jumping out at me more? Oh, because it's just solid gold, you know, whatever. So anyway, so I... 
I didn't so, even notice that part either. Okay, so you have a better detail orience of understanding things. I just looked at like the gear part itself and went, that's wrong. And yeah. you're like, oh. And then also the rosewood had a streak at this one point. And then... <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Doc Brown ripped space and time so bad yes. that yeah. the guitar came from the future and switched between guitars in the same that's performance. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just flashing in and out, kind of like the whole waiting for his yeah. mom to kiss his dad or his dad to kiss his mom, yeah. and you know the kids are fading away in the picture. Right. It's actually the guitar fading in and out. Which guitar actually showed up at this? Because Doc screwed something up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So basically, when you see video, you know, you you often see the video of like the greatest guitar swap on stage. You know, Steve Ray Vaughan swapping the guitar in the midst oh, yeah. of "Look at Little Sister" because he, he broke a string, right? Because yeah. he broke a string and "Look at Little Sister" and Renee like swaps or whatever, and it's seamless. Or or BB King, I showed you where BB King on stage oh, yeah. actually changed the string himself in the middle of of like yeah. the performance, right? And everything. Well, Marty McFly took it the next level and played two separate guitars seamlessly <laughs> at the same time on stage. Yep. <laughs> Without even like a a hint of a little of a space of of guitar change. So, yep. yeah. So, to to talk about the other guitar. Yeah. Because there is another guitar worth talking about and good for Back to the Future for knowing or at least his prop team looking for a guitar company that was going to stand the test of time. Because in Back to the Future 2, they decided to put some futuristic looking guitars up on the wall at the 80s cafe, which was evidently where in the 80s they did aerobics and then in the 50s was actually a diner. Yeah, I can't remember if it was the aerobic studio or not. I, I, it, it might have been. You don't really see in the '80s that particular diner or whatever. I, I don't right. recall. But yes, in the, you know, in the '50s it was the diner, and so you got to see a '50s diner. And as a kind of ode to that, in 2015 you get the '80s cafe. Yeah, yeah. And on the back wall there was two Paul Reed Smiths, and both of these Paul Reed Smiths, one was like blue, had a rosewood fretboard, it had this maple headstock and then you had one that i believe it was like black had a rosewood fretboard and it had this this darker colored headstock and i remember seeing those you know just watching the movie another time and i was like oh hold on i've seen those guitars before because later on you see old marty after he got fired pulls out his paul reed smith his ce24 mm -hmm. and starts playing but it was blue, rosewood fretboard, and the dark headstock. And at that time, I went, whoa, hold on. That's not the way it was in the 80s cafe. And now it's this. Did they have three Paul Reed Smiths? Yeah. And then I started thinking about it, and I went, they could have easily switched the necks. Because after all, it is a bolt-on. And so because it is a bolt-on neck, I mean, you could just say, ah, I'd rather have the darker headstock with this than yeah. the lighter headstock. I don't want it to be too much of anything. And so you could easily switch those things out. Sure. Yeah, no, it almost seemed like it was much like with the first movie when they were like, um, we want to find something that's a more futuristic look. Here they are making this movie to release in 1989, and they have to try to anticipate yeah. what's going to be around or what a guitar would look like in 2015. And instead right. of making it look like some weird futuristic like 
you know, um, Bela Fleck and the Flecktones uh, drummer that's, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> that guy yeah. with that contraption that he's playing or whatever. Rather than it looking right. like that, it, it was like, well, is there a guitar that looks kind of most like sort of modern, the most modern looking guitar of 1989 or whatever? Right. They probably contacted Paul Reed Smith, asked permission or something like that, because sure enough, they probably sent them. He probably sent like five guitars to him and said, "Here, use yeah, these." You know, and they probably chose the one they wanted for Marty to play and put the other two on the wall or whatever. You know, if I ever have a chance to interview Paul Smith, you know, yeah, it could happen someday. I actually do not look forward to it because anytime I've ever seen him give an interview to someone at random, he always busts their balls the entire time. <laughs> well, I don't see why them... he wouldn't grant you an interview now. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, because he would love to do that. I'm sure. He's you like, know, I definitely want to be interviewed by this guy now. Every single time I see him do something, I'm like, why is he giving them such a hard time? Like, what is happening? And he always goes, I'm just trying to have some fun. I'm like, yeah, your sense of fun is weird. I'm like, stop, <laughs> stop doing that. But at the same time, this is the question I think I would ask. How did sure. Back to the Future, how did Universal Studios, whatever, how did they end up with your guitars in yeah. one of the most iconic movies of right. the 80s? Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see if he had anything to do with it or whether it was uh, they went to Norm's By Guitars accident. again yeah. and just said, what do you got? And they were like, hey, how about these? But to their credit, I feel like that in the late 80s, Paul Reed Smiths weren't as well known. Um, I feel right. like I that. Think, uh, I think only Santana was really his big yeah, and one. I'm, I'm trying I know to that think Neil if... Sean kind of picked up on him around that time, too. Okay, yeah, I, I wasn't. Oh, how, I only remember Santana playing him in the '90s, but I I could be wrong. He could have gotten him in the late '80s too. All I know is is that they they weren't as prevalent, and I feel like that they were far more prevalent by 2015. And so for yeah. Marty to be playing one in 2015, I feel like back in '89 they actually that one of the ways that Back to the Future kind of got the future right. There are these moments in Back to the Future that are fun to see how they got things guessed right, and then of course there's mm-hmm. all the things that they got wrong, which is just you know whatever. I mean, how would they know? So um, it's right. Uh, no it's hover fun. cars, no hover sure. boards, yeah. at least yeah. in that sense. But when at gets- the same time, you do get the Cubs winning the World Series. They were just off by a year. They were off by one year, and the Cubs actually did make the playoffs in 2015, so we were all like in great anticipation of Back to the Future yeah. getting it right. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially with, a, at that point, a 107-year drought from a World Series yes. wound up being 108. <laughs> but then on top of you know, and then you know, Marty gets fired by fax machine. Um, yeah, right. You know, there's that, so people yep. have faxes. I've been fired by text. I know. Oh, okay. That. Uh, interesting. Yeah. That was a new um, one. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a whole other thing or whatever. I, I love the double ties of 2015 where mm-hmm. you're pl- where they wear two two ties, two neckties at once yeah. or whatever is a fashion of 2015 and you know um flea works with Michael J Fox. <laughs> oh yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, another random thing about 2015, you know. I guess uh, I guess Red Hot Chili Peppers didn't didn't uh, carry on didn't during that uh, timeline, and so no, no. <laughs> so let's go ahead and let's talk about our last thing because we do need to kind of finish things up. Yep. So the way that we will kind of put it all together is we are going to finish up with some Spinal Tap. Oh, I thought we were going back to the future uh, to having Elizabeth Shue leading us to Karate Kid, which is back to Ralph Macchio and Crossroads, which, of course, then would lead us right to Britney Spears all over again. No, no Britney Spears. I didn't see that one right. No, we're not. 
Oops, you did it again, right? Uh, oops, I did it again. Hit me, baby, one more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. So, Sorry. So, wait, 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 you want to wrap it up? Let's go ahead and real quick for Spinal Tap, because, I mean, we could talk forever about the guitars oh, sure. of Spinal Tap. Because, oh, I gosh, mean, he yeah. did have a number of really cool things. But one of the things that I think is an iconic moment of Spinal Tap is the Marshalls. Sure. Yeah. I remember people saying this phrase over and over again. Does it go to 11? Right. And it's become that like cliche laughable thing that everybody yeah. laughs about and goes, ah, yeah, does it go to 11 or whatever? And some people don't even know where it comes from. It's like stairway denied, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it comes from this movie. And I, I think the best part of it is just the way that, who is it? Rob Reiner? Is that right? Yeah, Rob Reiner. Yeah. You got Rob Reiner who's, you know, just doing the documentary, just trying mm-hmm. to talk to the person. And you got Nigel who's just super excited about how everything goes to 11. What do you what are you going to do when it when you're at 10? Well, you go to 11, right? You get one more, right? It's right, one right. louder. And it's all that and he goes, "Well, why don't you just make 10 louder?" And in all seriousness, it's amazing to see Nigel fully go into the character and just mm-hmm. fully look at it and just stare at it and really process it. And then goes, but this one goes to 11. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. It's just perfect. <laughs> that whole scene is no incredible. Better. Him showing off all of his guitars and, you know, n- not many people know this. Uh, it, it's funny how many people don't know this, I guess I should say is, is that spinal tap actually had a sequel called the return of spinal tap. Yeah, and that's the right. Return of spinal tap. Uh, you know, like how, how do you, you don't want to just reinvent, you know, do the exactly the same thing. And so right. how do you reinvent that magic of the mockumentary? And what they decided to do was instead mock the kind of uh, reunion concert or live concert things. And the yeah, way they the did where it. Where so are they now? In a sort of where they are they now. So it was like a, it was a live concert where the, you're seeing the stage show of Spinal Tap. And then mm-hmm. it would be broken up with little comedy sketches, which was a where are they now individual sketches for each individual band member. Yeah. But what's great for a guitar player in watching that movie is that Nigel, some of the types of guitars that he plays are so fun to look at because he has like he has this one yellow guitar that looks like it has something like six humbuckers all stacked right next to each yeah. other or whatever. <laughs> it's the, the ridiculousness. The, just the ridiculousness of it. And then my favorite is the um, the Marshall stack amplifier yeah. guitar <laughs> is is amazing because he walks Which is out a jackson right it's a jackson it has a jackson neck and then it's like the it's a half stack that he yeah. walks out and basically strums and he's like he's like uh is this loud enough you know and you can't don't hear anything yeah and everybody's uh, like no no, no. yeah yeah <laughs> And then the roadie comes out with the extension yeah. cab. <laughs> right. The roadie comes out with the extension cab, hooks it on, and then you can hear the guitar. So yeah. fun. Well, and the thing is, is that that's the best part about the second one, is in the first one, he dabbles with all these things. Because right. he's like, oh, here's my radio unit. And it's like, you mean right. wireless. The, the he's wireless like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unit. yeah. You know, because <laughs> he's just, he wants to like do all the things and he's creative. And really, yep. he's the Les Paul of his time. He's yeah sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's he's the Les Paul, the Seth Lover, and the Leo Fender of his time. 
the unknown genius, you know, it's like that's right. that gadgetry and, and, and um, inventiveness or whatever is in that second movie where he shows off his latest creation, the amp capo, which is a giant <laughs> capo wrapped around the Marshall stack amp that when you move up and down changes the pitch of the guitar. Yeah. So we should probably go ahead and, and just let it yeah. be done. And we're mm-hmm. going to go ahead and do our final thoughts. So, yeah. What are your final thoughts at this moment? Well, I think the the big final thought for me is that I think it's important to um, remember the term suspend disbelief so that we we can enjoy movies because you know we are watching these things we are inspired by music and musicians but all of us I think have also been inspired by movies and television that have music in them and these are the things that have caused us to start playing guitar or to um, pick up the guitar and create new things it's inspired us with our gear and given us great conversations and stuff and so it's like so we need to be able to separate our guitar nerd side or whatever Mm -hmm. that notice the things that are wrong with stuff and instead leave room to uh, suspend disbelief and just take in the story that that's unfolding, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. I also think that it is not necessarily a detriment. It's a little bit of a blessing that we can look at these things and see what's wrong. We can spot a fake. We can spot a fool. We can look at it and go, okay, he's playing the guitar. And really appreciate that he's playing the guitar. Or we can look at it and go, you're faking it, and that's terrible. At least you're an actor. At least you're pretty. You know, whatever. And I think that that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to do that. You know, as I mentioned before, you know, the nudging your wife going, oh, that's not from 64. Nope. Look at that headstock. Look at it. I think that that's fun. Now, some people may look at that as a negative, but I like that. I think that that's a great thing that we have at our disposal. Yeah, if anything, there there is the little blessing part of it where you can just realize that it, it gives you great conversation to talk with your other guitar friends about just for a, yeah. p- a conversational piece. And if anything, it, it helps us that, you know, if, if you're in the world of uh, dating apps or anything, it's a, it's a good mm-hmm. test to uh, bring up this uh, information with, with somebody, share this information, this, this nerd side of you or whatever. And if they go running and don't agree to a second date or whatever, then you know you've taken it too far. Or if they stick around. <laughs> It's someone to hold to and cling to because they're uh, they're they're worth keeping around to deal with you, you as your you soulmate. as you yeah because because then you have to deal with they have to deal with you every time they see anything with music yeah. yeah yeah and you know what and then the next time that they ask you to watch Crossroads the Britney Spears version the Britney Spears version and they'll like never that. ask you again no <laughs> no it'd actually be interesting to be like uh, hey do you want to watch Crossroads or have you seen Crossroads as a, as like a test question because then if yeah. they're like with Britney Spears then it's like it, does that mean they're a keeper or does that mean that that's a strike <laughs> against them because they didn't say the one with Ralph Macchio yeah that's it, that's it. <laughs> and if they say the one with Steve Vai then you're like marry me done i'm done i'm gonna get down on one knee i'm I'm gonna pull out my guitar string that broke earlier coil (laughs) it up to make a ring and put it over your finger well paul thank you so much for being a part of this therapy session i'm glad we had this conversation absolutely we could have talked forever on this stuff yeah i know seriously all right well until next time all right see y'all 
Bye. Well, that's all the time we have for the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars in a review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time. Yeah.